This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, I would like to first take a moment and let our listeners know that there will be a symphony of animal sounds in the background today. Can you explain (laughs) what that symphony may be? Um, I will go into details on another show. But it's going to be probably goslings and cats and dogs and roosters and chickens. <laughs> it just goes on. <laughs> Occasionally we have the dog kind of barking and we, we mostly take that out. But there'll be those little growls and then Taylor going. Some of that you, yeah. you guys hear. And in Fingers years snapping. past, we've 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 had the the cheeping of chirping, not cheeping, chirping of uh of little animals, and we have that in spades today. So that will yes, be, we've that'll got be some our goslings. primary background noise. <laughs> yes, I can't. I'm, there's no way for me to stop it because they, as soon as you start talking, they start talking. So it's just, if I'm talking, they're going to think that they have to reply. So if you hear it, I'm sorry. It's all part of the charm of the show. But Taylor, we are recording this on... November 22nd, which is three days before Thanksgiving. I have not done any shopping yet for Thanksgiving meal. What do you have planned for Thanksgiving? Well, um, for long, 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 long time listeners, you guys know that Thanksgiving is my holiday. It's the one that, like, I kind of took on myself. Like, it it was my leaving the cult just celebration um I never had any of the holidays anyway, but this is one that I kind of just, it became mine. (laughs) So uh, last year was really sad for me that we couldn't do anything for Thanksgiving because in the height of the pandemic and, you know, no, none of the households were in each other's so-called bubbles or whatever. So this year, yay. And so to me, it's even more about the food. I am demanding. <laughs> I am actually going and making the long ass drive to get my children and bring them here and make sure they spend the holiday with me because I want it. And so to facilitate that, there's going to be food long before the actual Thanksgiving meal because there's going to be lots of other people here too. But it's, I pretty much do the same thing every year and then. Other people will bring other dishes to change it up a bit, but it's the turkey and the stuffing and the, you know, the salads and the, you know, potatoes or whatever. But it's the turkey and the stuffing that I'm very well known for that people who even hate turkey and stuffing will come here to eat. So that's what I'm doing. Now, now I think we should throw down the gauntlet because I think my turkey and stuffing is really good and I can't imagine anyone's being better. (laughs) I think we've done this before. Steve. We probably have. We probably. <laughs> Let me ask you this: Do you have a spreadsheet that you use year after year to organize your Thanksgiving meal? No. Well, you should think about it because it works really I, well. Because otherwise, you have to remember do, when to do stuff. 
But if I do it the same every year, then I don't have to remember. It's just the same. <laughs> oh, oh, to be so young that you can remember from year to year. <laughs> but also when it comes to cooking and stuff, I'm like what they call a garbage can chef, which means like I will just use what I don't follow recipes. So I, I cook by feel and by sense and smell. And so... For me, doing the same recipe every year, it doesn't require memory because the the sense of it and the feeling of it is the same year year to year. So it just works. I know, like, for my stuffing, I will need a loaf of French bread and half an onion and half a stalk of celery and, you know, the macadamia nuts and the bacon crumbles or whatever. And I just, you know, just kind of toss them in as the eye says that they need to be there. Okay. All right. But I, are you not concerned about the whole timing of everything? Cause typically, unless you've got people at your house all day long, there's like people are showing up at a certain time to eat and everything has to be organized. Well, um, I generally tend to only cook turkeys that are like 12 pounds or smaller. And so I know from experience that I need no more than four hours of cook time. So as long as I have it in the oven before that, you know, four hours, at least four hours before people start showing up, then it'll be ready when everybody's there. Okay. So you've got other people bringing things like potatoes and that kind of thing. Yeah, and pies and sides and stuff like that. I really focus on bigger stuff, (laughs) the fun stuff. So we have a topic today, and that topic has once again come from that list of questions that Tanya sent us a few weeks ago. And this is one we've been saving. So the question yes. that we're we're posing today is, are there things, well, let me read the exact question. Is there anything you once believed to be uh, good writing rules or tips, but have changed your mind on? So Tanya sent us a a few questions that fall under these categories because she said that on a more personal note, she thought it would be interesting and fun for listeners to know about us. And so that's where that was coming from. Is there anything that we once believed to be good writing rules and tips, but changed our mind on? And Steve and I, a couple of weeks back when we were reading over these questions, we got to talking and uh, it it kind of related at the time it wasn't like we were exactly answering this question, but Steve was like, you know, there's this something about storytelling lately. That's just starting to get under my skin. And he started talking about it. And I was like, okay, that is a rule and a writing tip that used to be good. And I have changed. my mind." (laughs) (laughs) You, you, you had, you have changed your mind on that. Yes. Like I, I knew exactly what you were talking about. And I was like, I don't think that's how, I don't think it's correct. I think that it's a mistake to do that. Do you want to bring up the topic or do you want me to do it? Well, why don't you go ahead and bring up the topic and then I can share the example that I shared with you um, a week or so ago. Okay. So there's this trend. And I know that for me specifically as an author, it is a, an almost a pressure where things for your character, and this can happen in the book, but it tends to happen more over a long, over a series of books, things for the character just keep getting worse and worse. To, to, it just, 
and I and I know, like as an author, you have this this thing of well, if this happened in book two, well, you can't go backwards. You can't write a book that's less intense, or especially for me, since I do thrillers. Maybe if you're writing a different genre, there's going to be something besides intense that you know X marks the spot for you. But in my case, it's you know. If if this bad thing happened to the character and she was facing these odds in book two, book three has to up the ante. And then book four, even more, and book five, even more than that. And after a while, if you're not careful, you run into this scenario where, <laughs> like, what what more could you possibly do to a character before they just lose their friggin' minds and turn into a raving lunatic and go on a killing spree? Because, the, you know, people can agony before they break and and so that's something that I've had to be very mindful of in not to fall into that trap of how do I make it worse how do I make it worse but there's that belief that you need to continually being upping need to continually be upping the ante for readers to come back for the next you know volume or next edition so that was the topic that we got into that discussion about. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to quote you and, and you were describing this as a writer that, that the characters can only take so much agony before they break. I think that's true of the readers as well. The readers can only take so much agony before they break. And when we were talking a week or so ago, I had, I was into the third book in a series. I'd read the first book, uh, couple of years ago, and I enjoyed it, and then just forgot about the series, and I, I came across the second book the other day, read it, enjoyed it, uh, similar kind of thing to what Taylor was talking about, where the difficulty for the main character, just, the problems just kept piling up, and they were, in, in to a certain extent, they were family-related things, where in the beginning, he was recently divorced, um, still loved his, his former wife, um, just cherished his daughter, wanted to be able to spend all this time with her. In the second book, some things happened that pushed him further away from his ex-wife, further away from his daughter. And in the third book, it was like, it's over. You know, they're, like he may never see them again kind of thing. So essentially, he's lost his, his, his ex-wife. He's lost his daughter. All of these horrible things were happening. And I'm in my own mind, I'm thinking, why am I continuing to turn the page? Because I can't take this much more. And thankfully, I read on a Kindle. And it's got that little thing down at the bottom right, if you read on the Kindle, you know this, that tells you how far you are in a book. And very often in the books that I read, when the tension keeps elevating, it breaks around the 50% mark. And I was at 48%. And I thought, I actually, I told Taylor, I'm going to give it to 54 or 55%, and if it doesn't break, I'm done. And it was actually, it was 52% when it broke, and the tension dropped down by about 80%, and then the story went on, and I, I enjoyed the rest of the story. And I probably will read the next book, but not for a while. It, it was one of those things, I, I really, I felt almost traumatized by reading the book, and I don't want to read another one for a while. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I think if you were to ask me, what is my belief now? Like, how, it, 
as my mind has changed, what has it settled on? And what I believe, and I, I could be wrong, I'm willing to be to stand corrected. I'm sure our listeners have opinions and I welcome them. And I'm willing to keep changing my mind on this. But where my mind sits right now is that the, the, the story needs conflict. That's what that's why we read. We want to see characters overcome. But the the key word there is overcome. You you want to not come away from a story feeling gross and dirty and like you just witnessed somebody get beat up and just stood by and watched it and didn't do anything to intervene. That's not in well, maybe for some people, but for the most people, I would believe that is not enjoyable. So, yes, you need to have severe obstacles that need to be overcome, whether they, those obstacles are emotional, familial, physical, um, material, whatever they are. That's, that's conflict. But and it, it can get bad. That that's the upping. It has to matter. It has to count because if it doesn't count, then why do we care? But that doesn't mean that you want to see that character just be completely brutalized. We want to see victors. We want to see those who are capable of turning the odds and making things better. There's enough misery in our own lives and in the lives around us that for the most part, we don't want, well, it's me anyway, I don't want to entertain myself with that. I want, I don't mind the, the bad stuff if I trust that there's going to be some kind of victorious or winning or the character coming out with the upper hand at the end. And where you run into a risk of continually upping the ante is unless your readers really, really trust you, if they can't see where you're going with this, then it, they're going to get a reaction kind of like what you had of, okay, if this doesn't change by the 50% mark, I'm out. But they might not give it that long. Because it's for some people, not everyone, it can be really painful to just keep reading about these people who keep their lives keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And in my particular case, in book three, we had um, Monroe, Monroe's best friend slash brother slash person that she loved just about more than anybody else in the world was horrifically hurt and used to control her and make her do something that she doesn't want to do. Where do you go from there? Like, how many family members do you start hurting to try and manipulate a character or, you know, show this angst in a character's life? And at that point, when I was had got to that, I was like, I don't think this is the direction I want to go with these stories. Yes, bad things can happen to people that she loves and cares about, but it, her life doesn't have to. She, I want her to still be the master of her fate and the captain of her soul or how captain of her fate and master of her soul or however that poem goes invictus and not someone who's just buffeted by fate and just doing the best she can with that to take ownership of the situation right because that's a champion that even 
but to be a champion, you don't get there by not having to fight. So that kind of became my way of looking at it, that upping the ante, upping the stakes didn't necessarily mean making the character's life worse and worse and having more and more horrible things happen to her. It meant that whatever happened in that moment had to be something that mattered to her and it had to have a very good reason why it mattered to her. And that was enough. So that's the way that my opinion changed from, hey, here's here's what you've got to continually be upping the stakes to. No, you don't. <laughs> Here, That's not fair, especially as, as the series gets longer and longer. It is just finding new stakes that matter to the character in that current moment. And I I can't. I think that's one of the reasons why I've never really been able to write one of these um, ticking time bomb. If we don't stop the guy before the world explodes, then it's going to be nuclear war or something like that. I, I can't write that because how do you follow that up? You know, uh, that's just not the way my brain works. And so I, I just don't think that... <laughs> I would do a very good job of it. I'd start writing very, very unrealistic scenarios. And that's just not how I tend to construct my stories. Others may be very, very good at that, but I'm not. So, but that's why. It's because where do you go from there? How do you keep upping those stakes? And like, I can't. So my point of view shifted anyway. Okay, let's take a look at at another situation. And I I was... And this uh, this general rule um, is a rule in my mind, and I'll I would love to hear your thoughts on it as well. And that is that there always needs to be a development, sort of from point A to point B, some form of growth in your protagonist. And I see lots of like series fiction um, because I read a lot of PI things. um, There are a lot of instances where there is essentially no growth for the character over the course of, you know, maybe 40 or 50 books, but there are other things that, that drive the story forward. And I've, I've always had a hard time kind of reconciling that in my mind, the whole idea of this character is the knight in shining armor from the first time we're introduced to him or her and stays that way and just keeps solving problems for other people. So how how does that reconcile with the idea, if it, if it's a truism, that you need to have growth for your characters over the course of a book and then a series? I don't actually know the answer to that question. Shock! Um, I remember when I was first trying to learn how to write and reading, writing books, how to write books and stuff, and there, there would always be sections on characters, and they would talk about character arcs, and they talk about character archetypes, and you know the whole hero's journey and everything. And I don't really understand any of that because to me, when I write characters, characters are people, and I see them as people who they are, and for not main characters who are only going to show up in the course of that book. It's just a snapshot of their life, who they are at that moment of time, what it is that brought them to that and how 
they as a human being are reacting to the situation that they've been thrust into, good or bad, good guy, bad guy. You know, it's the same concept. They are people. They have their own lives and they are the hero in their own story. And when they come into contact with these other characters who have other motivations than them, how do they react? To me, that's what characters are. And when it comes to the main characters, the ones that move forward from book to book, again, they, to me, I've always just seen them as people. So if you have a character like Monroe, who has this horrible thing happen to her, like we were just talking about, where her best friend slash brother slash, you know, star-crossed soulmate, as he's called, um, has all these bad things happen to him because of her, that's going to change her. That's going to affect her worldview. It's going to come into her decision-making process. It's a traumatic experience, even though she's a character who's quote unquote, so badass doesn't mean that she's has no feelings. So that's going to all of that. Everything that happens to her in these stories is going to have an impact on the way that she views the world, the way she reacts and responds when the next thing happens. So maybe that's character growth. I don't know. I, I just see it as people. Maybe it's a character arc. Probably, but I just see it as people. And a hero's journey? I don't know. It's just a person that things are happening to, and she's trying to survive them the best way that she knows how. And she's pretty freaking good at surviving things and figuring it out along the way. But that doesn't mean that she, you know, is not flawed. She's got tons of flaws, but she's got good qualities too. She's not always likable. Sometimes she is. She's a person. And to me, that's just what characters are. So the whole thing of, you know, characters having change and growth and what have you, I, I don't know. Like, this is just how I see characters. I, I mean, I think the classic, not classic, but like a, a character that ever, so many people will know that doesn't change from book to book is Jack Reacher. He's just Jack Reacher. He's the same in every single book, and every once in a while he'll be a little different because of something else that happened, but he doesn't go through a huge character arc. He doesn't go through the hero's journey, I guess. I don't, again, I'm putting hero's journey in finger quotes because I, I don't know what that is. And he doesn't, um, you know, have these epiphanies or changes. The next book starts, and he's still just Jack Reacher. Kind of like what you were saying, saying, Steve, about these PI books or things that are just the same from book to book to book. And people love those books because they're consistent. They know exactly what they're getting. And even if sometimes the stories start to feel a little bit like copy paste in the sense of Jack Reacher comes to town, a bad thing's happened. <laughs> he finds a new girl that gets mixed up in this mess with him or whatever, you know, it, it's expected. And so... It's comfort food. You know what you're getting when you go into it. And my stories are not like that. But there's a risk readers take of where where is she going with this? You know, they just have to trust me. I guess by now they do trust me as an author that they're going to get their um, 
they're ending. They're going to have their closure by the end of the story and that, you know, things will probably work out okay. And it's, they don't get left hanging like, you know, her, is her life going to fall apart? They know somehow by the end they're going to be okay with how the book, the story ends. Um, but that's me. And I'm not selling millions and millions of copies like Jack Reacher's. So like Lee Child was. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I do not know the answer to this question of whether that is a good rule or a bad rule. I don't even truly, fully understand the rule itself. To me, characters are people. I've, I've, got, I've got a situation where I know you changed something, and we've talked about this before, and I know you, I know there was a reason why you made the change, but I don't know whether you thought that that was because what you were doing was better from a writing perspective or for a sales perspective. And that is the idea of shorter paragraphs where you, you made a decision after a certain number of books that thrillers with shorter paragraphs, um, maybe even shorter chapters were more easily consumed by readers. And so you made a conscious decision to shorten things up. Yeah. So I actually talked about this. Oh God. I think it was in a Patreon post maybe about chapters. I don't even remember where I, I talked about it, but the, the general concept is that there's really not a lot that you can control as an author in terms of the final product of your book. You have the words on the page and that's it. And that we as human beings don't respond well to really dense pages. Like if you open a book and it's just this wall of text, page after page, it doesn't matter what the content of that book is. It's going to feel really hard. And our brains as just a natural part of being human don't like hard. <laughs> we like easy for the most part. And so if you're going into, my theory was if you're going into a book and reading it for entertainment and enjoying enjoyment, your brain doesn't want hard. So you can write really fluffy, easy to read fiction and present it as a wall of text. And the brain is just going to think hard. So other things that affect how we perceive what we're facing are, you know, margin space, how much white space is between the lines, how tightly compressed the text is, the letter, how close the letters are to each other on the lines, all of which the author has no way to control. But the one thing I can control in terms of allowing for white space and to break up that wall of text so that it feels easy is to write shorter paragraphs, write shorter chapters, include a lot more single line paragraphs just to keep that white space on the page. Because what I, the stuff that I write, even though it's not um, like intellectual in the sense of, you know, important or heady or whatever, it's not dense like that in terms of hard, but it is very compressed in terms of story. And that density of story, if that also is put together in a large paragraphs and large chapters and not a lot of white space, 
now takes what could be a pleasurable reading experience and makes it harder. So breaking up chapters and paragraphs and including more white space for me was a conscious decision to try and make the density of story easier for the brain to process. I don't know what ever made me think that chapters had to be long or to, you know, paragraphs had to be long as well. I, I don't know. I know when I wrote The Informationist, my chapters were about 5,000 words. I had lots of really big walls of text. And over time, as I've learned more about what it is I'm doing and what I'm trying to achieve, my sentence structure, well, the sentence structure was already pretty short. Like I had lots of short sentences and stuff in The, the Informationist, but they were not broken up with lots of white text along the way, white space along the way. And so that became a conscious decision on my part to break up, to, to lighten the density of story with white space on the page. And the only way I could do that as an author and have control over that was shorter paragraphs, shorter chapters, etc. Interestingly enough, that book that I was talking about earlier that I was struggling with. So these books were written in the mid uh, like around 2015, 2016, 2017, the first three books. And the one that I was struggling with had a lot of really long paragraphs. And it, it, it struck me as being odd. And it's, I, I guess because I'm, I'm m- much of what I read is, is more current than that. And it is odd now in current day fiction to see on a Kindle a single paragraph that fills a page. It, that's really interesting. Odd, or even yeah, two. You know, yeah. That now that you mention it, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think I should add, and this is kind of a little bit off topic, but I uh, I do write some very very long paragraphs, uh, no sentences, and sometimes for me an entire paragraph will be a single sentence, and when I have beta readers coming in, they'll be like, is there any way that you can break this down? And if it gets pointed out to me, I will try to break it down. But sometimes I just can't find a way to break it down in a way that has the cadence that I'm, my brain or my interior, my, my awareness is, is looking for, like, cause I'm always trying to get the words on the page to match how I feel inside, how I sense inside. Cause I don't really think in words. And so the uh, I will write some very, very long sentences, but then I, if I hit one of those, then I can guarantee you that whatever leads up to it and whatever follows it, you're going to get several lines of just single sentence paragraphs because a single paragraph that's filled of like just this long, long, long sentence in its in in isolation is not the end of the world. But if you do that over and over and over and over, the brain is just like, I can't keep up with this. What are you trying to say? And it checks out. So I really try and avoid that as well. Topical, off topic, but, you know, related. Okay, so those are a few um, things that we once believed to be good writing rules and have changed our mind on. I would love to hear what you guys think. And I'm sure Taylor would as well, because I know we miss things here. And everyone has sort of their own opinions about this 
this kind of thing. And I would love to hear your thoughts on it as well in the Facebook group. Yeah, Facebook group, or if you're not on Facebook and you just want to write it to us directly, uh, email is probably the best way. I say We would say, oh, put a comment on the website, but we get so many spam comments going to the website, just like it becomes a filter where sometimes we just forget that I think I'm going to turn the I'm going to turn the commenting off on the website because we get so many spam comments and it's not like it's yeah. people that are going in and doing it it's robots yeah so if you if you're not on Facebook and you'd like to contribute to this conversation just send it to contact at Taylor Stevens with an s books with an s dot com and then we'll you might be the only one but if not we'll include it in the feedback that we get for these particular topics. Great. So uh, that is it. So thank you again, Tanya, for that, for that thought-provoking question. Thank you guys for listening. And we will be back again next Tuesday. With more of these. So see you guys soon.